Welcome to a new year of Feeling Seen, the podcast about the movies that make us feel seen. Today, my co-host is Emmy-nominated writer and comedian Joey Clift. Joey is an enrolled member of the Cowlitz Tribe. Like me, he grew up in the Pacific Northwest. Since then, not only has he witnessed the recent bump in Indigenous stories on screen, but he's also been a part of it, most recently as a writer and consulting producer for the children's series Spirit Rangers, which was nominated for seven Emmys. Created by Chumash writer Carissa Valencia, Spirit Rangers is the first animated children's program in the U.S. to be created by a Native person, and it had an all-Native writer's room. Today, Joey is feeling seen by Hulu's fantastic 2022 horror film Prey, in which a young Comanche warrior named Naru must protect her community from a vicious predator. That's right, we are going back in time for the Yauta this time. This is part of the Predator canon. We are going to talk about that and how Joey navigates Hollywood as a comedian and as a Native person. Joey Clift, Seven Emmys is huge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Congratulations. That's amazing. Oh, thanks. Yeah, it's it feels very... I mean, it, it's a show that was such a, a labor of love to work on, and I'm so fortunate I was able to be uh, a part of the team. So it's one of those things where, like, I've talked to Native folks who've seen the show, who've told, who've, like, through tears told me how much the show, like, meant yeah. to them. Yeah. Um, just because, like, Native representation hasn't really been a thing in the kids' space in, like, an authentic way mm-hmm. ever. And, um, you know, so... Like that to me felt like, okay, we did it. That's enough. Right. So to get, you know, these like professional accolades, like being able to say I'm nominated for an Emmy for working mm-hmm. on the show now is, um, you know, it's just like a cherry on top, but it's mm-hmm. just the whole experience was so great. I'm so happy I was able to work on the show. And if you have kids, you should check it out. It's on Netflix. It's super fun. It, was this your first experience being in a completely native writer's room? I've been in a couple of, I would say, smaller native writer's rooms before that. I um, wrote on a, like a, a web series that got um, some funding to put together like a writer's room in, I want to say like 2018, 2019. Mm-hmm. And um, what that was building up to is it was uh, basically this um, Native Film Festival got funding to put together this writer's room. And um, it was all building up to like a a table read at the Netflix uh, theater in the Netflix building. Okay, It wasn't an official Netflix series. They were just like letting us use the space. And, you know, to tell you how far Native representation has come even since 2018. Right. um, This was such a big deal that people drove from Oklahoma to LA just to see a table read of like a native web series with an all native writers room. And these weren't people who like wow. you know, were, had family members who worked on it. They were just like native folks that were like a native thing being read at Netflix. Yeah. Um, so uh, yeah, I did that. And then I, I've been on a, in a couple of different writers rooms with for different native run nonprofits and stuff like that, where it's basically a bunch of native comedians, you know, getting together and like, the Osage Casino in Oklahoma and pitching, you know, sketches and web series ideas for, um, you know, these these nonprofits. Mm-hmm. But this is my first like TV show for a network with an all native writers room that I'm a part of. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, it was just, it was just such a great experience. I mean, that's that's amazing to hear about. Like, I can't I can't imagine what it's like to know that you're you're putting on something like a table read, which is it's very cool. It's very fun. But then being like people have driven from the Midwest of this country to come see this? Like, do you process sort of the gravity of that happening as it's about to happen? Or are you like, I can't have that in my head right now. I just need to, I just need to make sure this goes well. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm, I'm somebody that like, I came up through the live comedy space and I've done, mm-hmm. you know, a million random, like, you know, UCB shows and shows <laughs> just in the LA scene. So I think that for me, like hearing that, it just kind of makes you aware of like the weight of what you're doing a little bit. Yeah. Um, and that's not necessarily like, you know, like I, I, I moved to LA to, to, and to pursue comedy because I was like a big fan of the Simpsons growing yeah. up. And, you know, I loved like late night with Conan O'Brien and things like that. So I didn't necessarily move here thinking like, you know, I'm going to, you know, be a voice in the native storytelling movement uh, or whatever. Course. Cause I just didn't know. I just didn't know kind of like what there was as far mm-hmm. as, you know, other native TV writers and things like that. And, um, you know, it's it's been really cool to kind of realize, like basically like realizing as I'm creating content and like writing jokes and doing comedy stuff around, you know, native things and, you know, just my experience as a native person, like just getting that kind of response. It's you kind of see stuff like that and you realize like, oh, there's like such a hunger for like native stories. And, you know, and that was, you know, in 2018. Now we're seeing, you know, 
the explosion of shows like, you know, Reservation Dogs and like yeah. Spirit Rangers that I worked on and stuff like that, where it's like, I was right. I knew that people wanted to see this, you know, yeah. and not and not just native folks, also like non-native folks. You know that people want to see something when even entertainment executives are willing to admit that people want to see something and put money behind it. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, yeah. When I, I think it's it's just it's just been like a really like surreal experience to kind of like watch things blossom and watch things grow and kind of the way that they have. Mm hmm. Uh, you grew up on the the I, I mean this is how I grew up saying it but I hope it's the, the Tulalip Reservation uh, in yeah. northern Washington. Yeah, yeah, I grew up on the Tulalip Reservation, um, like which is it's like forty five minutes north of Seattle on I five. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, growing up, it's like I uh, like I loved comedy, like I mentioned, you know, The Simpsons and stuff like that. But because I didn't see any native comedians on TV at the time, mm-hmm. I just didn't think I was like allowed to work in comedy. So yeah. instead, I went to school to be like a small market TV weather guy. <laughs> I, I love that. Like, oh. That was my one of my favorite details I read about you leading up to this was that you aspired yeah. to be a TV weatherman. Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, who among us? I remember when I wanted to be a TV meteorologist growing up watching K2 with my mom's news programs in the morning. Yeah. Well, and, and like, the, I feel like they're the few people on like local TV that can kind of get to have personalities and crack jokes and stuff like that. Yeah. So like that just felt like an attainable way for me to like get paid <laughs> making people laugh and like. <laughs> Fortunately, when I was going to like Washington State University for this, a bunch of professors pulled me aside and were like, you know, you could just work in comedy, right? And I was like, <laughs> what? You know? Well, I'm I'm very glad uh, I, that we can merge uh, such very different roads of, you know, talking about like finding a sort of connective tissue in TV comedy growing up. Like you mentioned, Conan and The Simpsons. But the character that you've brought today is not from the field of comedy. I guess depending on how you look at it, perhaps I am missing something. But could you tell us about the character and the movie you have brought for us to discuss today? Yeah, for sure. So I brought the character Naru from the movie Prey, which came out um, last year on Hulu. Prey is, I believe, the fifth um, the fifth movie in the Predator franchise. Mm-hmm. And um, Prey, if you've not seen it, which i recommend it's a fantastic movie so highly Um, recommend yeah it's great um so it takes place in i believe the 1700s in comanche territory Mm -hmm. um which is you know like southern um united states probably around like texas oklahoma area and um it's basically uh the predator versus the comanche nation Mm -hmm. and naru is the protagonist um like a comanche woman who basically like uses her wits and smarts to defeat (laughs) the predator i saw it saw what I saw what left those tracks. The bear? There was a bear, but there was something else. And it was huge. I couldn't see it until it was covered in blood, but it looked like... like a moot beats. <laughs> you saw a monster from a children's story? <laughs> it fought and killed a bear with its hands, easily. How come it didn't kill you? <laughs> so I think that I chose this character for a few reasons. Mm. Um, like, growing up, I feel like Native representation for me was kind of like, you kind of took what you could get. Yeah. So... Like, I'm a big professional wrestling fan, and um, I remember, uh, like, on WWF television, there was a wrestler named Tatanka, mm-hmm. who was... Uh, I remember him. He's like a... Yeah, yeah, and he's, he's like, played he's played by a Native American man, but, um, you know, he would come to the ring, you know, like, wearing a loincloth with a with a tomahawk. His finisher was the tomahawk chop. Yep. He would, like, he would, like, do a war dance when he was, like, powering up for his finisher. Mm-hmm. And it's just very... It's, like, very Plains Native, and it's very... It's, like, you know, it's, like, very much the WWE kind of caricature version of... Um, you know, native stuff. And I remember watching it as a kid and thinking like, I think I'm supposed to like this. Mm-hmm. Like, I think I have to like this because it's not like there's like another native wrestler that I could cheer. Yeah. But feeling like, okay, this doesn't feel representative of me, but I feel like this is kind of it. So I guess <laughs> I have to cheer it. Yeah. And um, something that's really great about, you know, I think our current native storytelling movement is now we're getting like actual cool shit that I'm like excited to cheer. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I don't have to like go through the mental process of like, well, this is the only thing. So I guess I got to love it. You know, yeah. it's just, I can just watch the movie Prey and watch Naru, um, you know, murder the fucking predator and just think <laughs> that's cool as shit. Like even like outside of the, like the native lens, that's just a great character. Naru, we're the bait. He's coming for us. No. No. It doesn't want bait. It doesn't hunt that way. Before the trappers captured me, it saw me. It came right up to me. And then left. It didn't think I was a threat. 
You want to know how I killed that lion? Your plan. The tree. You weakened it. You had it, Naru. That's a thing that I, I feel like doesn't necessarily the part that gets drilled down on into like analytical essays about like the potency of representation and where we lack it and where we're is succeeding is just like the deprivation of being able to see yourself doing awesome shit in the way yeah. that you just like like I remember when Wonder Woman came out I remember seeing a tweet where a, a woman was like I feel like I could just like run through a brick wall right now and kill anyone with my bare hands is this what men feel like walking out of movies <laughs> all of the time like this is insane this feeling yeah legit no legit it's like uh it's just that thing of like um, do, do you know what like the um, the Captain Marvel effect um, is or like the uh, the X-Files effect? I think is a different term for it. I think it. I've heard these terms. Please, please elaborate. So um, the Captain Marvel effect um, after the, the Captain Marvel movie came out, um, you know, in 2019, 2020, um, the following year, there was a record number of uh, women who applied to join the U.S. Air Force. Right. Because, okay. Yeah. Because like, you know, like women saw this like badass female air force pilot mm -hmm. and they were like i could be an air force pilot too and like yeah. the same thing happened when the, the paul feig ghostbusters movie came out mm -hmm. is that like that year there was a record number of women who applied to go to college for like stem jobs you mm -hmm. know um like when the x-files came out there was a record number of women who um applied to join the fbi because mm -hmm. you know because uh agent scully was just like such a badass you know <laughs> yeah. and so like there's like there's a real feeling that like if you see a character that you that you feel represents you on screen mm -hmm. doing something cool working a cool job yeah. you know you, you'll feel like you could do that too and like exactly to your point like seeing wonder woman and leaving that theater and thinking like i could punch god right now you know? <laughs> exactly <laughs> you know we we need to feel seen we need to feel empowered we need to feel like our our struggles are represented on screen but sometimes you also just need to feel like you can do something fucking rad and that yeah, there is someone yeah, totally. in front of you that t that shows you kind of like a map for that. Because you're like, wow, nobody showed me that fucking rad thing was an option. That's something that's like so cool to see with um, sort of native comedy post-Reservation Dogs mm. is I remember um, uh, before Reservation Dogs came out. And this is like, you know, once again, you know, two, three years ago. This is not that long ago. Uh, of course. Yeah. This is our immediate yeah. past. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Totally. Like, I felt like I could probably name every native comedian from the open mic level to the touring level mm -hmm. off the top of my head, just because like, it's a really small community. We all kind of know each other. And then like once Reservation Dogs came out every week, like after the first episode, every week, I saw like a new podcast or YouTube channel started by native folks mm -hmm. wanting to basically do bits on the internet. Mm -hmm. I saw, you know, posts for like, you know, flyers for all native comedy showcases in places like, you know, Oklahoma and Colorado mm -hmm. featuring a lot of comedians that like clearly were just starting out, but they like saw reservation dogs and they were like, I can do that for a living. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, we're even like literally over the past year, like now I probably couldn't tell you it was probably, it probably went from, maybe around 100 native folks doing comedy from the open mic level to the touring level mm -hmm. to I'm going to say like 500 in just a matter of like a year of just people seeing reservation dogs and seeing funny native characters on screen they related to and thinking like, oh, yeah, I could totally do that. Mm -hmm. I, I, I wrote a when I worked at Vulture, I wrote a list uh, like about 55 essential like queer horror films, but like broke it down by decade, like right. kind of starting in the. I think, God, we might have started in the 1930s and, like, gone up to the present for, like, and here each decade are some examples. And it's fascinating watching that timeline move from, like, movies rooted in, like, actual, more actual queer characters in the pre-code era of Hollywood, where they then get legislated out of existence by the production code right. of the Hayes Code. And then right. once the code goes down, like, the steady matriculation out of, like, substituting metaphor for actual literal representation and then like in the past few years like trying to think of like more movies for that list like what would be the present 2020s examples and then suddenly being like god damn i got a lot of movies to research because i need to pick the best ones of all this it's just not a matter of wading through and being like well what's the thing that i can find that had the best meaning that queer folks projected onto it so they could see themselves anywhere in a genre that had pushed them off to the side so like the idea of seeing that explosion it's crazy when you realize you can lose track of the amount of examples that you have actually of people like you doing something for sure i feel like for native people it's like if anybody would ever ask me like 
uh, oh, are there any like great native movies that I should watch? I'd be like, ah, Smoke Signals. And it's like, <laughs> that came out in 1998. Yeah. And it's like, uh, 2015. And that's still the only example I'm saying off the top of my head. That's mm-hmm. like not good, you know? Um, and, you know, I, I, I totally get what you're talking about. I feel like that's the situation a lot with, um, with native media mm-hmm. is you kind of have to look at like, okay, this is a movie about a character fighting colonization. And it's like a white guy and the colonists are aliens. Yeah. But like, that still feels like, I guess this counts as a native story. Exactly, you know? yeah. And yeah, you're right. It's like, it is kind of like coded in a specific way. But then you, like, um, something I feel like a lot of people don't know about like Star Wars is that um, there is so much like native rooting in Star Wars. Mm. Like Skywalker is a Mohawk name. Mm, like okay. um, Skywalkers are, that's what they called the... Um, the the members of the Mohawk tribe who built the skyscrapers in New York because um, just for whatever reason the the Mohawk people were not afraid of heights so they were often the people it's like there wow. there's a lot of um like that that famous photo of um all those guys eating um lunch on that girder in yes. New York it's like that's definitely a whitewashed photo and there's like I'm sure it was taken by a Mohawk person uh-huh, you know? uh-huh. um so yeah like the Empire State Building was built by members of the Mohawk tribe you know mm-hmm. so um. So, and that's definitely something that like George Lucas saw and said like, oh yeah, that's such a dope thing. I should name the main family of this film series, the Skywalker family, yeah. um, you know, getting to like the, the, um, the hairdo that Princess Leia has. That's like a very, that's like a traditional Hopi hairdo. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And there are a lot of other kind of things in sort of the Star Wars franchise, which is like the most American thing that you can imagine where uh, it's yeah. like, oh, you're just like straight up lifting native stuff, you yeah. know, and not crediting it, but like native people n- understand like. That's a Hopi hairdo. Skywalker is a Mohawk thing, you know, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. There is another Skywalker. I was reading you talking, I was reading your um, Reddit AMA, and you were talking about, like, growing up on the reservation, and obviously, like, being educated about things that generally get confined to a chapter in U.S. history books um, otherwise. Wow. Or wow. like a chapter is being generous. It's like a paragraph. A paragraph. You're absolutely right. Like, like you're like, you A know, paragraph that's easily skipped over. Yeah. It's a few days you do on a unit, like you said, in like the fourth grade. And that is the extent of like indigenous history that generally we're taught in like American public education. But like you're, you're growing up with your history. You're growing up learning your history. And you, it's, it seems like at times or per, I don't know, perhaps perhaps consistently, I don't want to like assume how you feel. You seem to have taken on an educator's role in your like public figure and sort of career life. And at times like standing in your your honest anger about like things that have been asked of you or things that you have seen and to explain to people why those have those have been things that have aggressed against you. And I wondered if like coming from like go- growing up with your community within your community where you are you are on a a, a reservation of, of other cowless individuals and then coming out to like LA and <laughs> being surrounded I would imagine the majority of time by a bunch of white folks is the educator role sort of something is it a burden that feels like you have to carry is it like a kind of joyful thing where you get to carry your culture with you wherever you go like it feels like it could be a lot in what in a good way or a bad way I don't know um that's such a good question. So, um, yeah, growing up, like I grew up on the Tulalip Res, and um, uh, so the the Cowlitz tribe were based out of Southern Washington. I grew up on like a, a res that was not my tribe's res. Got it. Not okay. for any sort of cultural reason. It was just like when my mom turned eighteen, she was like, "I don't want to live near my parents," you know. Um, <laughs> yeah. And um, so growing up, growing up on the Tulalip Res, I was like surrounded by like Coastal Salish, which is sort of the the regional culture, mm-hmm. um, you know, culture at all times. Like I went to school on the Tulalip Res. Um, so for me, like uh, being educated about specifically Pacific Northwest Native stuff mm-hmm. is not something that was particularly weird to me that like all my classmates were other Native folks mm-hmm. it was just, you know, a normal part of my life. And it wasn't until I like went to um, university like WSU that I realized how rare that is. Yeah. Um, truthfully, just by being asked the dumbest fucking questions by fr- incoming freshmen. I am sure. <laughs> like, yes. Like I remember um, a-, a friend of mine who was... Um, like an RA for uh, one of the residence halls at WSU, um, he you know had to put together so many like cultural events or whatever, and we were good mm. friends. So he was like, "Oh, could you just do like, could we do an event where you just answer questions about native stuff for these freshmen?" Mm-hmm. And I was like, "Yeah, sure, why not? Just like buy me a 
you know, a hamburger from the res hall and we'll call it square. Mm-hmm. And um, the questions that I got were just so wild. It was stuff like, were you born in a teepee? Like, um, you know, like if your if your tribe is its own nation within the United States, why do you get to vote in our elections? Not can you vote in our elections? Why do you why get to vote you? in our elections? How dare you? You know, yeah, yeah, totally, totally. And it's like, I think that that for me was like a really big um, light bulb moment of like, oh, it's like, it's it's ra- it's rare that I'm that I know about this stuff. Um, yeah. And, um, you know, that's something that when I moved to L.A., like I didn't move to L.A., like I said, like I moved to L.A. to be a comedian. Like, you know, yeah. when I dove into the UCB scene, I was immediately writing like sketches about like Batman and stuff. You know, I wasn't like I wasn't necessarily like stepping into it being like I will be a teacher for mm-hmm. my people's ways or of whatever. Um, and while I was doing that, I was also really involved in, you know, Native Hollywood. Like I think before I even, you know, started UCB classes, I was Googling like Native American TV writers. And then I was mm-hmm. just trying to like meet folks and get involved in that community and um i think that just like over the over the next like five or six years from like 2010 to 2016 i just started to realize like oh i know all of these really funny native comedians that are doing great stuff Mm -hmm. um outside of mainstream spaces Mm -hmm. meanwhile i'm the only native comedian that's getting any real opportunities in sort of los angeles mainstream space comedy spaces yeah and, you know, understanding that there's a disconnect there. And, you know, also just like being in a lot of situations where it's like, I'm in a class, I'm in a sketch comedy class and somebody brings in a sketch that's like racist against natives. Yeah. And then me having to be like, hey, that's like kind of racist. And then I'm being like, who cares? Then I'm like, native people care. Yeah. And they're like, but there's no native people in this room. And then I'll like pull out my tribality <laughs> card and put it in front of them. Yeah. And the, then they'll be like, uh, you know, so it's like, you know, realizing that like at the time it felt like if I want more native representation, it's important that I'm more visible about my identity. Right. Okay. So it's like, I, you know, started to put, you know, cowlets in my like comedian bio and mm-hmm. stuff like that. And, um, tried to like plan events and stuff like that at UCB just to bring, you know, more native folks into that scene. And it was this thing where like, I really loved that aspect of it, of mm-hmm. like spotlighting like other native folks, um, you know, doing what I could to boost up other native comedians and like just being a little bit more like visible in the scene. But like the double-edged sword of that is like I very quickly became, I think sort of like what people viewed as like a token native comedian. Sure. Um, so it was sort of this thing where it's like, I remember once I started being more visible about native stuff, I started to get like, you know, a lot of emails and DMs around Thanksgiving from like comedians that are just like, hey, it's November and I really want to put a native comedian in my stand up <laughs> show, but you're the only native comedian I know. Will you do it? Uh-huh. And it's just like, oh, that's not like an ask that's going to make me excited about that. Yeah. Like, also, oh, I'm going to show up there enthusiastic and ready to go. Yeah, totally, totally. So it's like it kind of felt like that thing. And then like there were just other things where it's like I would get a lot of um you know, like Facebook messages from like somebody I took an improv class with five years prior that are yeah. just like, I'm thinking of getting a tattoo of a dream catcher. Is that racist? You know? <laughs> oh my God. I, so I think that for me, it's like where the educator role annoys me is when people, I feel like I'm being treated like a, like a museum piece, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, like there are people that like will reach out and they'll engage with me as like a comedian because that's what my job is and how I pay my bills and stuff. Mm-hmm. And there are people where it's like, oh, I've not talked to them in 10 years. And then they'll send me an email where it's like the subject line is like, hey, buddy. And then like <laughs> and then like the text of the email is just like, hey, it's been a minute. Hope you're well. Anyway, I just got an Atlanta Braves hat and I was wondering, you know, and it's like or whatever. And it's like, yo, we haven't <laughs> talked in 10 years, you know, Fuck. like, yeah, totally. Like I'm you've not met another native person in 10 years. Yeah, yeah. And God, boy, there are internet resources for this. Like you yeah, can look you up can... a lot of essays to get an answer to that question. Yeah, it's like, I don't know, Google it. Like it, it's like that's to me when it feels like Yeah. Like if somebody who's like a good friend of mine like has questions about, you know, casinos or whatever, mm-hmm. it's like or like if like a friend of mine is like, hey, I just saw Killers of the Flower Moon. Mm-hmm. I had opinions about it. What you, you know, not not that you're speaking for all Native people, but just like, what did you think about it? Um, you know, those are conversations I'm like happy to have. But if it's like somebody I haven't talked to in ten years who just sends an email, subject line Killers of the Flower Moon, mm-hmm. title, what do you think? It's just like, <laughs> I don't know, like 
I saw you at a birthday party two weeks ago. You didn't invite me to, but all of a sudden you you're friends with me when you want to know how to feel about the new Scorsese film. Yeah, yeah. It's time for a short break, but I will be right back with more from Joey Clift. Then I will have one quick thing before I go about the upcoming Mean Girls movie musical. The following are real reenactments of pretend emergency calls. 20 of podcasts on the hunt for justice, but only one podcast has the courage to take on the silly crimes. Judge John Hodgman, the only true crime podcast that won't leave you feeling sad and bad and scared for once, only on MaximumFun.org. Uh, this is Lori Kilmartin. And I'm Jackie Cation. And we have a podcast called The Jackie and Lori Show on Max Fun. And it's very exciting because what do we talk about? Comedy. Stand up comedy. We both do stand up comedy and have since the dawn of well, Christ. Well, Jackie. Is that offensive? It is offensive to me because you've aged me. <laughs> uh, we started in the late 80s and we're still here. You can't kill us. So go to The Jackie and Lori Show on Max Fun and listen to that. Jackie and Lori Show. New episodes Monday, only on MaximumFun.org. Welcome back to Feeling Scene. I'm talking with Joey Clift about his career as a comedian and writer, native representation in film and television, and the lead character Naru from the movie Prey. It's when I got the chance to interview Jeff Barnaby when the movie Blood Quantum came out. Who he, he, oh, that's awesome! Since yeah, right. passed, R.I.P. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and was a, an excellent writer director. He talked about how what he found was what would pass for sort of representation in terms of like native creators was bringing in like consultants, having yeah. consultants come in to look at things that were going to be made, written, directed by white people, but they were essentially brought in to be like a smell test individual. And that was, and like you said, it's just the past few years that you've seen this sort of explosion of, of more people coming into the space. And this was, uh, Blood Quantum came out in 2017 or 2018. And so I wondered if like, is that part of a transition that you have seen as well? I mean, I hope so. Moving from him being like, you know, it's just rubber stamping, like fucking pay us to run the show, pay us to direct the movie. Don't bring me in after the fact and have me like fact check your work for you. And I wanted to know if that was like a difference that you had seen in addition to like the growing number of people involved is the growing number of people involved at different levels, something that's getting better or not. Hell, maybe it isn't. Yeah. Well, that, that's something that I really loved about prey is that I feel like any, any piece of native representation, I'm looking at it through two different lenses. Mm-hmm. One is, is this a good movie? Mm-hmm. Is this a good TV? I'm just, you know, like just et cetera, et cetera. The other lens is like, okay, how'd they do the native stuff? Is this racist? Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, and, um, I think that something that was really beautiful about Prey is that um, Dan Trachtenberg, the writer-director of it, is Mm -hmm. not a native person, but he brought in Jane Myers, who's a fantastic producer and a member of the Comanche Nation, very early on Mm -hmm. to, like, help shape the story, help make sure that, like, the right team was hired, Mm -hmm. help with, like, casting, like, you know, and um, bringing her on in a high-level decision-making position early on allowed Mm -hmm. native authenticity to trickle down throughout the entire production Mm -hmm. to the point that, like, as they were filming it, I think that they... um, had a few programs where it's like if you were um, a member of the tribe whose land they were shooting the film on and you wanted to intern in any department in the mm. film, they were like, for sure, done, you know? Yeah. Um, so I think that um, that's an example of like bringing on a native person early on to help make sure that the thing's authentic, even though it's not necessarily native led. It's like, yeah, there's definitely like a native with a very strong voice at the table who's listened to. Mm-hmm. Um, that's counter to like a lot of what happens in Hollywood, which is like, you know, the first person oftentimes, um, you know, in previous years before this current moment, if there was a native character in a TV show, the first native person who would read the script is the native actor on set mm-hmm. when they're about to say the lines. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I remember um, I, I've had it happen to me where um 
I'll get like a panicked email from like an assistant for a film production company basically <laughs> saying like, okay, so we've got this movie that we're going to start shooting next week. It's like, you know, got like a budget of a hundred million dollars yeah. and like, we're really excited about it. And it's got like a, and it stars like a badass, non-stereotypical native woman who's like <laughs> yeah. out to like right wrongs or whatever. But like, you know, we realized like we haven't really had a native person read this script. So we were wondering, can you just like give it a read and just like, let us know what you think? By the way, this shoots tomorrow. Like, yeah, you know, yeah, absolutely. And it's like, I remember there was one of these situations where I was sent this script in a panic by an assistant. And once again, I was not, at no point was the phrase, and we would like to pay you for this mentioned. Absolutely. You're like, and here's your check for $5,000 for doing a sensitivity read. Yeah, totally. And like, uh, every time I am sent something like that in that tone, it's always uh, racist as fuck. Yep. (laughs) Like I remember in that script, it was like specifically there was a line that was like, she drives her car stoically. And it's like, how do you drive a car stoically? <laughs> it's like, oh, while she was like holding the wheel, she was looking at the window and thinking about eagles. I don't know. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, you know, and like every single line was just like, I'm mad at you. Just like how I'm mad at uh, like the founding fathers for taking my land. Like, you yeah, know, okay. and it's like, you can kind of like hear it in stoic mystical native voice like yes absolutely yeah no I'm, I'm filling that into my head and it's also for some reason it's reminding me of having um rooney mara play tiger lily in that movie pan i'm suddenly thinking of rooney mara as tiger lily in the pan movie and just wanting to throw myself through the window standing in front of me all over again yeah um there's the pan movie there's like johnny depp playing tonto in the lone ranger which was like mm-hmm. two years before that mm-hmm. by the way the pan movie came out in 2015 not that long ago <laughs> not that long ago uh johnny depp lone ranger Maybe 2013, you know, um, (laughs) for for me, it's stuff like I really loved the first it movie, like it chapter one, Mm -hmm. you know, the new it movie, Um, it chapter two, they changed a few things from um, being a little bit vague in the mysticism to making it like a native thing. Yeah. Did you see it? Chapter two? Yeah, I actually I I hate that movie, actually. (laughs) Yeah. So like opening with like the the gay bashing, I was like, what are we saying here? And we don't say anything at all. And then, like, you know, let's move on to more errors from that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, to- totally, totally fair. But, like, uh, they changed the the ritual of Chud, I think that it is, uh, mm. which is, like, the ritual they used to, you know, defeat Pennywise mm-hmm. from, uh, you know, kind of a vague thing to, like, I don't know, like, we found it from this tribe in the Northeast. Um, <laughs> and, like, they used to live in the cities, but then they got scared of Pennywise, and now they live in the woods. And it's, yeah. like... You go, and the movie takes place in the 80s. So then we like, we travel to like the woods where a character's trying to get this like artifact for this ritual. And it's just a bunch of native people wearing flannel who just live in the woods mm-hmm. and they have like, you know, like huts built that they live in. And it's like, this takes place in the 80s. <laughs> what the fuck? Like, and that movie came out in like 2020, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. And, yet, and also, did any of those native uh, actors have a single line of dialogue in the movie? Right. No. <laughs> like, yeah. So, you know, these are all people that were paid like extra rates for this weird racist portrayal of native culture, you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, so I, I, I definitely like agree with you in that um, for a long time, Hollywood used the consultant model, which was mm-hmm. um, exactly like you said, it's like they're not looking for they're not looking to actually um, take the notes from the consultants. They're looking mm-hmm. to just basically get a rubber stamp. You know, is this racist? If you say yes, we're just going to note that and stamp it anyway, you know, yeah. Um, and it's something that I even kind of saw early in my career when I would get most of my like general meetings and stuff like that, like in November around Thanksgiving. And it's like, mm-hmm. it didn't feel like a, it didn't feel like a real meeting. It felt like, oh, you're just meeting with me. So at the end of the year, when you put together your Excel spreadsheet of all the diverse writers, you say that you met went with mm-hmm. that, you'll be able to say like, I met with three natives, you know, yeah. did I do a follow-up or accept a pitch from them? Absolutely not. But I mm-hmm. like, I met with them, you know? Yeah. And, um, now I think, um, you know, really over the past, uh, I would say five years or so, I've started to see this really nice switch where I feel like mm. executives are, you know, when I have meetings and do pitches, they're like earnestly engaging with me as like a creative, as a mm-hmm. comedian, as a writer and et cetera. It doesn't feel like, you know, like they, I definitely have meetings with people who suck sometimes, but I feel mm-hmm. like that used to be 90% of the meetings. And now that's like 5% of the meetings. And 90% mm-hmm. of the meetings are execs who are just like, hey, I know we really haven't done a um, right by native people in our network, but like we really want to change that. We're really big fans of your work. Here's like specific things that you've made that we really like and thought were really funny. You know, do you have mm-hmm. any ideas in like this bucket? Like um, it just feels like 
you know, and talking to a lot of my friends in native Hollywood, we're just being like respected as creators more. Okay. And I think that like people are seeing the success of things like Prey, which is which was the most viewed TV show or movie in the history of Hulu when it came I, out. I I don't think I I think that's the streaming property that I most regretted did not have a theatrical release. I wanted to see that on a big screen, fucking screaming. Yeah, I was at the premiere, uh, which was fantastic. It was like I was watching in a room full of like other natives. So it's yeah. like when the predator started murdering French fur trappers. Oh boy, that place <laughs> erupted. <laughs> like, <laughs> There was a moment where like I was watching the movie and I just like turned out turned to one of my friends who I was sitting next to and I was just like, This movie fucking rocks. Like, you <laughs> <Yeah>. know? <laughs> it is. It's um, the chance it's the chance to watch something just fucking cool. Yeah. And it's like you don't have to like watch it with the the thing of like, okay, the native representation is good, but the movie is not. But like, but I'm yeah. gonna say it's good on Twitter because I want people to support native stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. Um it's just like, oh, even outside of this lens, this is fantastic. Like, mm-hmm. um, so, um, you know, yeah, I, th- I do think that, like, especially younger execs, there's been a turn of people realizing that Native stories, you know, have not really been told in the media in an authentic way in, like, the entire history of television and movies. Yeah. And, like, it's about time that we let those stories be told. And, you know, it, it's just, like, a really beautiful kind of change that I've seen. And you're seeing, like, a lot of success when Native people are allowed to tell their own stories, you know, in Reservation Dogs being this huge critically acclaimed series that was, mm-hmm. like... I think number six on the Hollywood Reporter is like top 100 TV shows of this century, you know, Um, like Spirit Rangers, a show that I worked on being, you know, a hit for Netflix and also being nominated for seven Emmy Awards, you know, Um, like Prey, I think is nominated for six Emmy Awards and was the biggest release in the history of Hulu for TV or film. So it's like, I think that we're also like chalking up some wins in a way that like allows us to walk into, you know, meetings and pitches a little Mm -hmm. more confidently. And I feel like, yeah, I don't know. It's just like when I say stuff like um, it would be cool if there were native writers on this native TV show and exec saying yes instead of awkwardly changing the subject. You yeah, know? yeah. Like, like I remember in um, 2018, I was like talking to an exec for like a big TV network and they were telling me like um, they were excitedly telling me like, like, oh, yeah, we've got this like TV series coming out. It's got some like native characters in it that we're really excited about because like representation is important. Um, and then I was like, oh, cool. That's awesome. Uh, you know, do you have any native writers on that show? And their response was like, uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> and then I was like, oh, okay, cool. Yep. Okay. Well, you good, know. <laughs> good luck with that, you guys. And it's like, oh, you, you, you thinking about it? And it's like, um, not, 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 not really. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, the, there we go. It's like, oh, I, I guess you suck. <laughs> like, you <know. laughs> this is kind of my tell when you were talking about like sort of being you know, in sort of an educational position sometimes is like, ultimately, like I have to protect what I'm excited about and what Mm -hmm. I want to do. So I feel like when I'm brought into, when I'm, when I think that I'm brought in to be like a comedian, to write jokes Mm -hmm. or whatever, like I am making sure that I'm also, that I'm being brought in for that. And if I'm Mm -hmm. giving any sort of like um, uh, insight on native stuff, it's like, basically as a means to further whatever jokes I'm trying to pitch. Okay. So um, making sure that the comedian comes first Mm. and then, um, you know, and then in addition to that, there is also the test of like, are they listening when I like get, when I say stuff? So if Mm -hmm. I say like, you know, like, oh, it's just like saying that every member of this tribe can turn into a wolf like Twilight. Like, you know, it's just like, maybe could, could we not do that? Yeah. Uh, maybe maybe it's, I don't know, maybe it's like a wolf, a werewolf came from Europe and bit this one member of the tribe. <laughs> yeah. And that's the reason. And it's not just because they're native and like traditionally this tribe could turn into wolves or whatever, <laughs> yeah. you know, like. Um, and it's like, I think that it's like if I say that and they say like, oh, yeah, that's a good point. Sorry. I'm just not educated about this stuff. Totally get it. Anyway, mm-hmm. joke, 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 joke. Mm-hmm. Um, then that's some that's a situation that that feels right to me. Whereas if I say that and they're just like, we kind of like if every member of this tribe could turn into wolves, you know, (laughs) then it's like, oh, maybe this isn't a job I should take. I mean, there it feels like a note you should give to like anybody who comes in the room besides the native writer. Like, 
as like a genre film fan, I'm like, well, anybody should be turning into wolves. But like, that's like a know your audience moment where it's like, wow, the implications of telling this person that this community of individuals should turn into wolves is like, maybe if I just really want to see a family of werewolves, I should look elsewhere. Yeah, well, I, I think that like what's also helped me is I've started to phrase things as just like, yeah, we could do that if you want native Twitter to hate you personally. Yeah, <laughs> like, you yeah. Know, what a like, great, you know, what a great cudgel to have, honestly. That's, yeah, that's some yeah, justified just like, motivation by fear. Yeah, no, it's like I'm unafraid to just say like, yeah, you know, we could do that. It's just like, yeah, you know, like the last film that did that, like the executive who was on that film got personally torched by native Twitter and fired. <laughs> so like, you know, we could do that or we could do, you know, something else that I think, you know, native people might like, which, you know, yeah. not to say that you have to do one or the other, but just like I like to work on stuff that native people don't hate, you know, so it's just yeah. I feel like the team I'm on. Not to know. say that you have to do one or the other, but who's to say if you want the 10 million native people in the United States to personally hate you. Like, yeah, to personally, it's like, to personally it's like, make oh, you a you topic of bad conversation. Yeah, if you want that, if you want to have a lot of memes about how, like, taking your LinkedIn bio and then making it seem like you're the racist that I think that you are. Yeah, you know, <laughs> yeah. and you want that, that to go viral and get shared by all the Reservation Dogs team or whatever. Yeah, like, go nuts. Yeah, like, you know, you yeah. could if you want. It's like, look, you know, you're an adult. Do whatever you want to do, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah in putting the comic first and like again like you came here wanting to write for the tonight show you came here wanting to write for the simpsons kind of thing but like along the way having this sort of like bloom of native creativity be like brought to the fore by the industry in pockets what in terms of like what do these possibility models of things like a reservation dogs or like prey are there any sort of paths that that opens up for you that just maybe creatively you hadn't like considered yet i'm gonna say that like I mentioned, like I moved to LA kind of just to tell silly jokes, yeah. like um, just because I, you know, I like making people laugh and all that stuff. And I think that like over the past decade or so that I've been in Los Angeles, it's really bloomed into like, like I love telling stories from marginalized communities, like fighting to be mm. seen. You know, if, if I write like a funny, you know, sketch about Spider-Man or whatever and put it up at UCB or put it online and it gets like a million views. Um, the response is going to be like, oh, you really took it to Stan Lee with that sketch or whatever. Yeah. But like, you know, working on a show like Spirit Rangers or, um, you know, other shows that I've worked on. Like, I remember um, after shortly after Spirit Rangers came out, uh, me and the Spirit Rangers creator, Chris Valencia, got flown out to um, Vancouver, British Columbia to mm. give a panel on the show for this like big um, animation event. And during the audience Q&A afterwards, um, all of the people who were asking questions were other native folks who were basically just like through tears telling us how much the show meant to them. Mm-hmm. Part of my job as a consulting producer is that um, the we got the blessing of my tribe to mm. um, make the family half cowlets, so the dad okay. of the family's cowlets. And we have words in the cowlets language, like, um, you know, uh, characters inspired by you know uh, by our legends and stuff like that mm-hmm. and it was a real partnership with the tribe and like i've talked to other cowlitz folks who've told me like once again like through like fighting back tears like i want to be a tv writer because of you mm-hmm. and dang and that's or just like this is the first time i've ever seen a cowlitz character on tv or like yeah. this is the fir- or like you know i remember i was talking to somebody who was telling me that like her dad who's like a very you know traditional native guy um, you know, probably in his 70s or something like that. Like the first time he saw Spirit Rangers, he cried. Like, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. and I think that for me, it's like, like, I feel that way too. It's like I'm welling up whenever I'm like telling a story that's close and personal to me. Yeah. And that's like, you know, it's like fun to write like, you know, a sketch called like the cop who can't stop farting or whatever. But it's like, <laughs> of course. yeah, but it's just like a different level to like know that I'm telling a story that is as important to the people who are watching it as it is to me to tell that story, you know, mm-hmm. and, you know, weaving in jokes and telling my, using my voice, my, you know, my comedic stylings while doing that. And um, it's like beautiful in a way that just telling jokes, isn't. Yeah. you know, it's, it's fun yeah. as it is to, you know, get an audience to crack up. It's just like, yeah, but like, why are you doing this? Mm-hmm. Uh, like I've just evolved in, you know, just wanting to tell jokes and make weird alt comedy to like, you know, really wanting to tell stories that like matter to me and are important to me. And like, you know, at least at this point in my life, telling native stories or stories from from my perspective mm-hmm. is what scratches that itch and what I just like really love doing probably more than anything. You know, I feel really fortunate to be a part of this like native storytelling movement and to like get to do this. And it's like, it's just so like meaningful. And yeah. you know, I feel like I'm doing things like 
full hearted and not with the level of like ironic detachment that most comedy comes from. Yeah, yeah. And it's just like fucking amazing to get to do it, you know. <laughs> I mean, I can't, I can't, I, I couldn't try and position myself, position us for a better ending than that. That that's a beautiful place to to stop the conversation at. I think, and it just makes me even more grateful for all the conversation that came before it. So thank you so much, Joey Clift for for this time you've given us today and for being so honest and for being so and for being vulnerable with us about these kinds of things thank you very much i appreciate it yeah for sure yeah thanks so much for having me um you know this was so fun i'm so glad that we were able to talk about it so um yeah definitely everybody watch prey on hulu i did not work on it but it's just a fantastic movie um you know check out spirit rangers on netflix our second season dropped earlier this year and like i said we're nominated for seven emmy awards nominated for seven emmys there's so many native folks who are nominated with that for emmys because of this show and it's like (laughs) and it's like for me what's crazy about it is like thinking I don't think I'm the first Native person to be nominated for an Emmy for being a producer. Mm-hmm. But, like, I'm probably in the first five. You I was going to say, it, like, this could be single digits that we're talking yeah, about here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like, I don't know what the number is, but it's for sure less than 10. Like, you know, <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's probably less than five, you know. So, like, that, that's so great. So, yeah, everybody watch Spear Rangers. And then um, uh, something that was kind of a beautiful full circle thing for me is that um, I wanted to be a comedian growing up, but because I didn't see any Native comedians on TV, I didn't think I was allowed to. Mm-hmm. But um, over the past few years, I've worked with Comedy Central on this digital series that I'm really excited about called Gone Native. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. It's a series of animated comedy PSAs about weird microaggressions a lot of Native and Indigenous folks experience just on a regular basis. Um, mm-hmm. One of the episodes is called telling people you're Native American when you're not Native is a lot like telling a bear you're a bear when you're not a bear. It's 23 (laughs) words long. Basically, Fiona Apple album title of a short. Um, So this is a series of five shorts. You can watch all of them on um, gonenative.tv. You know, it's a series that, um, and each short's about two minutes long. And they basically go through different microaggressions from, you know, uh, people pretending they're Native when they're not to non-Natives using the term spirit animal to the Indian burial ground trope used in horror movies Mm -hmm. to, you know, Native sports mascots. And it's an easy way for me to like use comedy to educate people about these issues. And one of the things mm-hmm. that I really love about the gonenative.tv site is that for each short, you know, there's this, you know, compact, you know, one to two minute short mm-hmm. um, fold, filled with jokes. It's animated about this issue. But there are also like li- links to articles and think pieces to give you a deeper dive about these things. That you, oh, that's um, really you know, helpful. Yeah. Just in case you want to like learn a little bit more. Because I mean, uh, like as I've learned a reason for a lot of this ignorance from people is that there's like. 87% of U.S. schools don't teach Native history after 1900. Right. Um, so I figured that a series like this is like hopefully a quick first step for people to get educated about this stuff that they don't know about while also hopefully being catharsis for Native folks who just like mm-hmm. love that I'm dunking on non-Natives calling meetings powwows and stuff. You know? <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much, Joey. I truly, we truly appreciate you coming on. Huge thank you to Joey Clift. Uh, You can check out his series of comedy shorts, Gone Native, at gonenative.tv, or head to his website to see all the great stuff he's working on. And in the meantime, Spirit Rangers is on Netflix, the Emmy-nominated show Spirit Rangers, so maybe go check that out. We will link to it in the show notes. And now that one quick thing before I go, the Mean Girls are coming back to screen. Listen... I know what you're thinking. I said musical at the top of this episode. And you're like, musical? I watched a trailer for a movie that had an Olivia Rodrigo song in it. Is Olivia Rodrigo going to sing musical songs in this movie? Well, I would love that, but I don't think it's what's going to happen. But this is the movie adaptation of the stage musical adaptation of the original Mean Girls movie, Uh, from the 2000s starring Lindsay Lohan, which was an adaptation of the book Queen Bees and Wannabes uh, that Tina Fey adapted for screen. So that's about 37 layers of adaptation, and here we are in 2023. This movie has Ali'i Cravalho as Janice, so it has basically a friend of the show in the film, and we always want to stand for that. Um, This movie also has, most importantly, basically this is the Renee Rapp appreciation moment of the show, I could not be more excited to see um, actor, yes, but pop star extraordinaire Renee Rapp playing the part of Regina George. 
I saw Mean Girls, the touring production, last year. It was at the start of the year. And Regina has a her big song in the musical of Mean Girls is called World Burn. And I think it's one of the most difficult songs like I've heard a person sing ever. But Renee Rapp and those pipes, let me tell you, she can deliver. She has delivered. And she will deliver for us in this film. She played Regina George on Broadway in the fancy Broadway musical production of Mean Girls. So we're in, in context of Regina George, the most iconic character um, that came from the, the original film. We are in more than capable hands. Uh, and Renee also posted to Instagram, you know, burn in burn book fashion. Uh, gay icon Renee Rapp said that Regina George is a lesbian. And that's probably not going to be true in the movie because everybody's going to be lusting after Aaron Samuels for some reason when all these girls are just here and they can be hanging out with each other. But you know what? Renee Rapp's Regina George, that's going to be a gay icon too because there's just no two ways around it when you got Renee Rapp on screen. Anyway, I would plan to have a good time with the movies with that. I'm planning to have a good time with the movies and always prioritize good times at the movies when it is the dark, wintry hours of January. And that is our show. The first show of the new year. The first new episode of the new year. Happy 2024, everyone. Uh, Remember, just because Christmas has passed doesn't mean you can't get your own feeling scene merch, including all kinds of canonically queer shirts at maxfunstore.com. Speaking of Renee Rapp, why don't you just go do that right now? And you can follow us, the show, on Instagram and Twitter at FeelingScenePod or send us an email at FeelingScene at MaximumFun.org. If you want to follow me, I'm Crew on Twitter. Our theme music is by Andrew Epen. The show is produced by Marissa Flaxbart. Our senior producers are Kevin Ferguson and Laura Swisher. And this is a production of Maximum Fun. Maximum Fun, a worker-owned network of artist-owned shows, supported directly by you.